Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. One one pitch, fastball pulled and Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Adam, Scott, Heath, and Chris. This is Fantasy Baseball Today. I'm Chris Welsh. That is Scott White. Early 2020 ranks preview shows today. It's the outfielders. Top 30. We're not going 20. We had to give you 10 more because, A, we play with so many more, and, B, Oh my gosh, you get through the first 30 and it's like, did we leave out 75 more players we want to talk about? Yes, we did, but there's only so much we can do. Scott, how are you doing, my friend? I know you had a lot of fun doing this episode and you finally get to uh, get it on the audio format. You know what? I think 30 is the perfect cutoff because I think there is a teardrop after that. There, there's there's a number 31 that I would have liked to include, but I, I think it marks a clear delineation there. Uh, between the guys you can trust to put up high-end or near-high-end numbers and the ones that are iffier in that regard. I think those come really beginning outside of the top 30. All right, I have made a marker at the end of the episode. We are going to find out who was number 31. Let's find who that special guy is. That's a tease for the end of the episode to be who that guy is because we've got a ton of them. And it all starts right here at the top with a really, really important question because I'm not sure there's much of an argument. I suppose you could make it really even into the top four, but let's just for argument's sake here, let's go into the top three. These are your top three players in probably a majority of formats. In points, you want to get into pitching. Definitely not going to argue that. So I know you could go into that route. But your top three hitters in Scott White's order, Mike Trout at one, Christian Yelich at two, and Ronald Acuna at three. And I feel like based off a lot of the conversations we've had as of recent, that doesn't surprise me because at that you were a little bit more shocked of Ronald Acuna going no, number one overall. But can you really yeah. do wrong with any of these guys at one, two, or three? Probably not. Probably not. I feel like people who take Acuna number one are trying to make a statement, kind of. Oh, because... you think so? Why? Why is that? I mean, look at those numbers. I mean, it was practically 40-40. That's not, I mean, mm-hmm. he made a statement, not us. He led the majors in strikeouts. So you can't really count on him to be the batting title contender that Trout and Yelich are. And they're still going to steal a healthy number of bases. I mean, Yelich, if his knee checks out okay, could compete with Acuna for steals. Uh, he was leading the NL in steals for most of the year. He was clearly the best player in fantasy on a per-game basis this year. Yelich was uh, because he missed some time at the end, I think, in in 5 by 5 scoring, Acuna did pass him. But, um, yeah, I mean, I guess, I, guess I'm, I guess I'm overstating the case if Acuna technically did finish number one in 5 by 5 scoring, but I have, I have my issues with how that scoring works sometimes, and we don't need to get into those right mm-hmm. here. Okay, well then, give me the delineation between these guys. I mean, I, I got, I've always been a defender of Trout. You know, uh, Scott Bogman and I, did this book, our 99 fantasy baseball player debates. We did it for two years, and there was always the number one debate. And you know what it was, Scott? It was Mike Trout versus everybody else. And that was mm-hmm. how the debate went, and it was defend mm-hmm. Mike Trout and then pick the players you want to make as some type of a defense versus because Mike Trout, whether he finishes as the number one overall guy, which doesn't happen a majority of the time, but the range that he fits in, he is the absolute constant of constants where a guy like Christian Yelich 
we really are just keep trying to talk ourselves out of why he can't do things. And now we just understand, oh, he can do all of the things. And then Ronald Acuna, mm. the most prized prospect in baseball. I mean, he absolutely surpassed any of our expectations. There was always this fleeting comment of like, oh, Ronald Acuna could be Mike Trout. Well, guess what? He was better than Mike Trout, you know, in, uh, in from a fantasy perspective, uh, from a fantasy sort perspective, of. from a fantasy sort perspective. Of. Okay. But sort of. so give me the gap between these players if there really is one, because I feel like to you, it's Trout, Yelich, little gap, then Acuna. Is that right? Yeah, for me, there is. And, and I should throw my points league nugget out there for all my points leaguers listening. And there's plenty of you, you know, Acuna obviously wasn't the top hitter in points leagues. He was fifth, sixth. Bregman, Bellinger, Rendon, Yelich, Simeon, Acuna. Mm. That's an interesting list. Obviously, Yelich was number one on a per game basis. but uh, And Trout, you know, Trout missed time at the air with injury too, which kind of gets lost since they weren't in the playoff push. It wasn't as big of a storyline as Yelich. On a per game basis, I think it was Yelich one, Trout two. Um, but yeah, I, is there a uh, narrative for you? Let me throw this at you. Do you like if sometimes I like to talk about things simplistically, I don't, I don't, and I, and I hope people either, you know, just deal with it if I do it, but you know, you either like it or you don't like it, but sometimes I want to just get it in the most simplistic way we can do it. Cause we can obviously break down everything, you know, from a really analytical standpoint, but if you just wanted like a nugget of how to determine these guys, would, would you think it's fair to say Mike Trout is the safe play at one. If you're trying to choose who you're picking at one, Mike Trout okay. is the safe play. Yelich is the all areas covered play, and Acuna is the upside play. Is that fair, or do you have something better? No, no, because it's hard for me to say anybody has more upside than Trout and Yelich at this point. Acuna may have just as much, but that's not how I'd categorize it. I would, I would go back to your initial point of you know, Trout versus anyone else. If you've played that game over the past few years and picked Trout, you were the winner every time. It was Trout versus Goldschmidt a few years back, then Goldschmidt took a big step back, then it was Trout versus Altuve, Trout versus Betts just this past year. And none of those guys could... They all surpassed Trout in the year we're talking about, the year, you know, looking back at the previous year but then they couldn't sustain it at the level Trout always does. And I think Yelich maybe had the clearest case, and there would have been a lot of temptation to take him over Trout, uh, at least for me, until the fractured kneecap. I mean, that's a pretty significant injury. We, I don't think how Jose Altuve has been quite the same since he fractured his kneecap. So I'm hopeful there's not any kind of uh, performance setback for Yelich, but it's it's enough of a concern that I think he clearly belongs after Trout. So it's just a question of how hard are you selling out for stolen bases, which yeah. is something we've been asking at every position. And that's kind of where I wanted to press you at. Like we can take a yeah. thing out of the conversation is, you know, the, the numbers that Yelich puts up with the stolen bases, which were significant, you know, I mean, two thirds more stolen bases with Yelich than with Trout. The rest of the numbers without the injury w- would have surpassed. I mean, he would have been the MVP. So, I mean, are the stolen bases enough for you to take away the constant that is Trout and take Yelich number one this year? Even though I know you have Trout at number one, so you can kind of easily answer that. But do you think that's a fair argument to say, I, I don't, I'll take the stolen bases? I don't think Trout is necessarily not a base stealer anymore. He was 11 for 13 this year and, you know, missing the last couple of weeks with injuries. Okay. I mean, it's still a good success rate. He still can run, obviously. He had an 11 steal season before, back in... 
2015, played 159 games, stole only 11 bases. We worried he wasn't going to be a base stealer anymore then. Followed it up with a 30-steal season. And then 22, and then 24, and then and then 11 last year. So I, I still see him as a 20 to 25 steal guy just because he wasn't this past year. That doesn't really change my outlook for Trout. But um, I is the safest bet for steals of these three. Uh, I don't know that Yelich and Trout, I give either the edge in terms of how safe they are for steals. I expect some from both. Okay, but this is, you are comfortable, obviously, with your ranks. That's an easy answer. But if people are asking you, because guess what? You're going to have these ranks out here. People are still going to ask you the question. Your top three picks, Trout, Yelich. I feel I feel like Acuna is not your number three overall. Is he your th- number three overall? He's my number three overall. Actually, the top five at outfield here are my top five overall. Well, what a perfect players. transition then. How about yeah. number four, the amazing Cody Bellinger, and number five, Mookie Betts, whom I got so much flack for with a take we had really early on. It was this guy was like right before Mookie had that crazy breakout. That yeah. what I put out to the world was listen, I don't think people will allow Mookie Betts to go inside the, the first round because of how poor the performance had been this year. Even though we know who he is, I thought the masses would move away even into the likes of Trout or of uh, Trevor Story and the likes like that. And then all of a sudden, Mookie Betts went Mookie Betts, exactly what we know and expect from him. And people loved, loved emailing us about that. But did they? Oh, <laughs> oh boy. They I were. felt bad after that exchange because I feel like I didn't press you hard enough on that. Yeah, well, I mean, it was there was a lot of Mookie bets out there. My argument, I still hold this, it, it doesn't change anything. It wasn't that I don't think Mookie Betts is a first-round pick. It's that I didn't think people would give him the benefit of the doubt because Betts had gone through this before. Betts moved almost outside of the first round or a wheel pick on the year that he hit 260, but he was still a 100 mm-hmm. guy. So for me, I looked and I said, well, what's the difference? What's the difference now? He actually has a track record of statistically coming down. That's why I was making some of that argument. But clearly, he has reestablished himself. And as you say, these are your top five picks in this order. Yes. Beginning of any draft, in any format, really. Uh, you know, I might drop Acuna to fifth in a points league. And obviously, we talked about you could make a case for him first overall in a five-by-five league. But other than sliding him around, I, I don't think the order changes regardless of format. If there's one okay, if there's one player not named Ronald Acuna in this top five that regresses significantly in 2020, who is that player's name and does it rhyme with Schmody Schmellinger? <laughs> That's the guy. Yep. That's the guy. That's- okay. Because what does he's that look never like? done it before. I mean, that's reason enough to factor in, or at least uh, consider the possibility it wasn't legit. And then you add the fact that his final four months weren't nearly as good as the first two. I mean, he was about a 270 hitter the final four months, right? There was a lot of uh, I, people were clamoring that, like, this is Jose Ramirez coming back. This is going to be the Jose Ramirez thing. Oh, gosh, it I, wasn't that bad. Uh, no, it wasn't. <laughs> but people have some type of a track record or something like that. I think there is going to be – there's going to be something around that this year with some people. Not consensus across the board. But I do think there's going to be a collective of people that are going to look at a guy like Cody Bellinger and say, listen, the year that he had was fantastic. But look where it went in the second half. Mookie clearly over Bellinger, but I think people are going to start looking and they're going to make cases for a couple of the guys we're going to talk about here in a minute to even go over Bellinger because people just don't want any part of it. I'm not in that camp. I do Mm. think 
him being able to repeat what he did last year is going to be a little bit of a taller feat. But I, you know, are we going to be anything off than maybe a 10%, you know, uh, statistical reduction in overall production? Uh, I don't know. And I can live with that. And I can live with that as a top five pick, even if he comes down by five to 10%. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, even, okay, so it was 262 he hit over the final four months. Obviously, not what you're hoping to see from a top five player overall, no. but. His strikeout rate was way down even then. And with the quality of contact he makes in terms of how hard he hits the ball, how, how the, the the home run pace he's going to be on, uh, you're striking out that little. You're going to hit for average, right? It's I feel like the Bellinger from the first two months was closer than to the real Bellinger than the one from the past four months, the final four months. And really the full season line is what I expect from Cody Bellinger going forward. It. The, the peripherals basically support what the full season line did and ended up being, which was a 305 batting average, 1035 OPS, 47 home runs, 15 steals, by the way. So he's not a zero as far as that's concerned. Uh, what about yeah. Mookie, though? Talk to me about Mookie, and then we're going to move into what is definitely a different tier of player because we gave a lot to Cody Bellinger there. Talk to me about Mookie, and I mean, I know the argument of him turning it on what was it i'm last six last weeks two months were just absurd yeah the last yeah okay two months i would say six weeks yeah. two months was absolutely absurd and it helps when you look at the overall numbers but do you think i mean you just talked earlier when we were doing the shortstop episode about xander bogarts there's going to be a regime change there's stuff out there we've heard we've heard rumors about places mookie bets can go i don't know do you think with some of the ups and downs that mookie has gone through he's an mvp caliber t- type of player but do you think he might be more vol even though we're talking about bellinger because he hasn't done it before do you think there's more volatility with a guy like Mookie Betts? Not really. The plate discipline's so good. He makes such consistent contact. I think I think that basically makes him bust proof. There are some there are some quality of contact issues that can lead to fluctuations in batting average, but you know, I I never really buy it when he's hitting 260. I think a hot streak's just around the corner. He followed it up with an MVP season the first time. Yeah. Followed up the first 4 months this year by hitting like 320 the rest of the way he hit 272 in the first half which was 87 games hit 13 homers and stole 10 bases so 272 in the next 62 games in the second half he hit 325 so you know i mean that's a 50 point boost on batting average hit 16 homers so the ball was flying a little bit more and the stolen bases came down a little bit though still on pace about six uh six stolen bases in that second half so not that we would still look at the numbers even if he repeated and had 272 again he still would have been a 20 stolen base let's say uh 20 ish and 26 homers he just wouldn't have had the batting average he just absolutely took off and he had what was a crazy second half and I'm not and believe me I'm not trying to make the case that it's weighted over those last two months or it's um what's the word I'm looking for or it's uh, or he's overrated by the last two months I'm a huge Mookie Betts fan and I will take him for this year I just want to play devil's advocate to say you know spot where there's a lot of consistency even at other positions you said in points league Alex Bregman uh was the top guy when there's mm. consistency across the board, is he a little bit more volatile than we give him credit for? But you dispel that, and you're comfortable no matter what as a top five pick. I mean, this was one of his worst seasons, right? I'd um, say so. The big questions are going to be, does the stolen base total bounce back? Because 16 was 10 lower than he's had in a full season. Uh, Since 2015. What, what does a venue change do for him? Because this swing's kind of perfectly tailored for Fenway. Uh, I, I still think the the base skill level is 
is so high. Um, I'm not that worried about either of them. I expect him to bounce back as a base dealer, particularly in a new environment. But even if he doesn't, I mean, he's going to be a first-round caliber bat. He may not live up to the top five pick, but I just feel like he's bust-proof, like I said. This part of the podcast brought to you by our friends over at SeatGeek with promo code FANTASY. Why do ticketing sites want to make it so difficult? Is it on purpose? Do they care that their sites are annoying? Do they care that it's difficult? Maybe the real question is, how easy could it be if those ticketing sites actually did care? Well, with millions of live event tickets and price match guarantees, SeatGeek is proving there is a better way. Search sports, live music, comedy, and more, and SeatGeek, they've got the tickets you're looking for all in one place. They built the fastest way to find tickets so you can stop searching for the perfect seat and start enjoying it. My wife and I both have the app, though we did spend some time looking for some different things. I said before, Baby Shark is coming up. For myself, well, I'm looking here in a couple weeks because Tool is coming to town here in Phoenix. You might be looking for World Series tickets. Whatever it is you are looking for, it's on SeatGeek, and they're going to make sure every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for the tickets with confidence. Right now, SeatGeek wants to give you $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you've got to do is use our promo code. Go download the app right now, the SeatGeek app, and use promo code FANTASY. You're going to get $10 off your first purchase. That's promo code FANTASY for $10 off your first purchase. Number six, seven, eight, nine, and 10. Boy, are they fun names. We don't need to jump too ahead here. Let's talk about the next two one could be the other's father i think at this point jd martinez comes in at number six and juan soto comes in at number seven juan soto is one of the more exciting young players in baseball jd martinez has definitely been a constant talk to me about six and seven all right so the skills for jd martinez didn't decline at all even though the numbers did i i think there's a good chance he's a first round caliber bat Again, in 2020, you know, he's obviously with the Red Sox. There's a chance he could move on this offseason. They could deal him. I was about to say, um, is Bo- does Boston have, I know, I think I saw that they there is a scenario where they could keep JD in bets, but I think the most likely scenario is not the two of them both being on this team. Payroll well, I mean, they could well. make a run, one more run with both of them, right? And then, yeah, without assess next offseason. Yeah. I don't know. But anyway, yeah, yeah. I mean, that would obviously change the evaluation somewhat. But in terms of his, the the fact he's 32, I, I don't see any skills diminish. Uh, I, I don't really factor in a skills situation for the statistical decline, which wasn't even that much. So you can get him in the second round now. That's great. I think he still has first round upside. You want to, you want to hear something really interesting? Um, the, we've been citing the hashtag too early mocks that's up. You can find, uh, find everywhere. And we've been kind of referencing just because it's the six industry, uh, drafts that accumulated kind of an ADP. Nobody was more buzzy, I think, than Juan Soto coming into these Juan Soto who you have at number six, or no, you have at seven and JD Martinez, you have at six. They were next to each other, but they were opposite. Soto was six. Martina was seven. Soto went as the 10th overall player. An ADP of 10 went as high as five. J.D. Martinez down at 18 with only a high of 16. So his low was 23. He's a no-doubt second-round pick in 12-team leagues for people. But Juan Soto has the movement of a mid-second to first round. I'm going to guess you're sitting here talking in February and March, Scott. Juan Soto is not being drafted outside of the first round anywhere. I don't really understand it. I would if it was a points league. 
I feel like the thing he excels at most is that terrific strikeout-to-walk ratio. Is kind of like Alex Bregman in that regard. So it would make sense in that format, but obviously we're not talking about that there. He's not a base stealer. Actually, how many base stolen 12. bases did he have? I mean, he 12. 12. 12 okay. is, so it wasn't a zero. It's serviceable, but that yeah. it's not. I'll, here's, here's a perspective. He had 14 total stolen bases, counting his 2018 Major League season, and every single stop through the minor league. So I'm counting 2016 rookie ball to A ball to high A to double A. You count every single season, and he had 14 stolen bases all the way through, and then he just stole 12, stole 12 in 2019. So they just made it a bigger thing, and he's got the ability, but he's a little bit of a bigger guy. So it's hard to believe those stolen base numbers, but you're not drafting him you're not even drafting him because you're like, oh, hey, I get like 10 extra stolen bases. That's not remotely why you're invested in him. You're invested because this potentially is an elite hitter that pushes 35 plus homers or 35 plus homers, 100 plus runs RBIs, and you're hoping the batting average is in the 300 range. But there's, yeah, there's kind I mean, of a lot of those projecting improvement. He's, he hasn't done that yet. Um, you know, he well, hit 282 this year. Yeah. And I, I definitely think he's on the rise. The biggest issue he had coming into this season was too many ground balls and he corrected that. Uh, he elevated the ball much better, ended up with a bigger home run total. The the stock's going up here. I just, I don't understand why given the number of players who already uh, perform at that first round level, I, I don't know why we're, we're projecting. I don't know. I, I guess we're, I don't know why we're jumping ahead with him. It doesn't, it, it seems like kind of a reach to me. And usually you see reaches with, big base dealers in an environment where there are so few of those to be found. And, and since he's not that, it makes even less sense to me. I don't, I don't really get it. I'm fine with them in the middle of the second round, first round. No. I, I mean, I think there's a part of it. Like he just defies logic of what we know about the trends of baseball and what we know about young players. Like he's not susceptible like a guy like Fernando Tatis Jr. that we talked about to mm. some of the same up and downs. He didn't yep. have a sophomore slump. He got better. He hit more homers. He became a bigger force in the offense. And as much as we talk about, we've been talking about the 30-year-olds and the declining, the decline in production, he's going to be 21 coming into next year, and he gets better. So I think it's a tip of the iceberg moment with Juan Soto. That's what it's about. Yeah. So you have the potential decline in a guy like J.D. Martinez as he gets older and could potentially move destination to the tip of the iceberg with Juan Soto. And I think that's the battle. And at the end of the day, in the state we are, we're probably always going to go with the higher upside potential outside of, I don't know, a constant like J.D. Martinez. I mean, I'm well, assuming the a little comparative bit. comparative upside? I mean, next on the list is Charlie Blackman. He's eighth for me, who continues to do first-round caliber things, playing in Colorado, hitting 300, like a lot of times like 320 with 30 home runs, a league-leading run total every year. I mean, it, upside doesn't really get much higher than that. What outfield position do you think, what numerical position do you think he went in the two early mocks? Yeah, so this, Charlie Blackman was one of the big head scratchers the other way in the two early mocks because I think he was a fourth rounder on average in these 15-team drafts, which just blew my mind. 43 ADP, the 13th outfielder. He went in one league at 26 overall. 
I got him in League One at forty four, and he his he Good went for four, he went forty four in League One and two, forty five in League Five, and forty three in League Six. So regardless of yeah. where the ups and downs go, he's a mid forty guy, and I jumped on being able to draft. He's in him. my top twenty five. I mean, I don't I don't get it. Like, are they expecting him to get traded out of Colorado? Then maybe I'd understand it. Are they just presuming the decline's going to happen because he's 33 next year? Well, he actually kind of bounced back this year. So there was a wasn't there a rough start? There was a rough start to to Blackman's year this year, and I think I think people might be a little bit sick of the up and downs. I need to I need to go pull this up real quick. But I mean, the at the end of the day, we really do care about how we got. Do we? How much do we care how we got there? If we got there. It's not quite like fantasy football where you can you can yeah. make a bigger statement to how we got there is as important as getting there because I mean, I'm not trying to get into football, but you know, a guy like Stefan Diggs with the Vikings who just finally had his breakout in week six. How much does that help us where we went through five weeks of this absolutely destroying us? So if we go through right. two months of garbage with a player and then they pick it up a lot. Yeah, okay, yeah, I got you the did. splits opened up here. He hit three thirty three with seven homers in May. Blackman did. What so. was the month that he was back? I, I swear there's a month. July? You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. July, we're hit 256. You're right about that. Coming off of hitting 412 in June. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Yeah, I don't I don't really get that at all. And and so then to tie it back to to tie it back to Juan Soto, um <laughs> trying to remember the point I had about Juan Soto. <laughs> yeah, it was sorry, a good I, one. I moved it. It was a good one, but now I can't remember. Well, it. your big point was how how much further can we get with Juan Soto? That was where you were going with it. How much further oh, can the upside be? So he seems like a high floor kid who only has upside from here, and we're banking on the upside by drafting him in the first round. You know the last player who I felt like was in that spot? Corey Seeger. Mm. We did the same thing with Corey Seeger. And how did that turn out? I mean, is it because Corey Seager is not that player, or is it because he's constantly riddled with just massive injuries that Juan Soto doesn't have? I mean, because well, there's a little bit of we, a difference there. We weren't expecting that to happen for Seager. Oh, so but, you, okay. I mean, it's not it's not a totally fair comparison. It's just it's a good no. I know what you're going with, and I think it's good. It's just like it's a little bit different because I mean, unless you believe that the production that like Seager had was overflated overinflated but i think you could look and be like man the injuries that this guy had it might take a couple years to fully come through do you know any players i've talked to i was talking with uh royce lewis and royce lewis you know he was injured and i think what did he miss like the first month and then That's he twins shortstop prospect, yeah i'm sorry t- twin shortstop uh yep. top prospect with the minnesota twins and he was telling me you know he had this injury he missed the first month and it took him the entire season to get right. He was essentially spending in season of his spring training and the acknowledgement of his stats for the year. He just didn't he couldn't even comprehend because he's like, listen, these injuries put me across, uh, put me way back. Jared Oliva, a player that's going to be on my prospect one show re- uh, shortly, who's having a breakout year with the Pittsburgh Pirates. He had a concussion, he said, in the first game, and he said he didn't feel right for a month and a half. So I'm just using anecdotal things to say that the injuries can linger for so much longer, but we are getting to a point with Seager and I'm getting beyond the point here where it's like, yeah. at some point we have to be like, all right, this is an injury and this is production. So I right. get where you're making it with Soto. He just doesn't have that yet. He doesn't well, have the, the injury. The next step never came for Seager is my point. So like if you're presuming yeah. it and passing up caliber of players like Blackman and who knows what else at other positions, I don't know. I don't think it's worth it. You know, I ranking Soto ahead of Blackman. So kind of <laughs> <laughs> you might have to make that adjustment then. But yeah, I, there are probably players at other positions that would make the case better than Blackman 
himself does, and he makes a pretty good case. Yeah, I mean, from a value perspective, these guys aren't remotely close either. I mean, you know, three-round difference from these two. Right. Uh, number nine, you've got Cattell Marte. Number 10, Aaron Judge. 11, George Springer. And then let's stop here at Starling Marte. So Marte, Springer, Judge, and another Marte going up. So what is the gap with these guys? And, and and feel free to also give me the gap where like Blackman comes in. Is Marte with Blackman? Does it kind of end at maybe Aaron Judge? Talk to me about these four. So Cattell Marte is at the end of my second round. He's in my top 25, and it's mostly because he's second base eligible. So I think after Cattell Marte at number nine is where things get pretty confusing for me because Aaron Judge, okay, Probably the best pure power hitter in baseball. Perennial candidate for 50 home runs. Walks a ton. He hasn't even, he's gotten like halfway to 50 home runs the past two years because of injuries. And they seem like fluky things that, you, you know, shouldn't necessarily factor into his going rate. But I think his size kind of works against him in terms of staying healthy. It's like all the things we fool ourselves into with Giancarlo Stanton. We're like, oh just like a jaw thing and it's another thing and it's like yeah. there's a point where you're you know prone to plague the the, the old adage that piece of p always says are you injury prone or injury plagued he's just yeah. injured he's injury john carlos stanton is injury and we worry is judge going to fall into that same trap now springer was probably like a good version of aaron judge uh he missed a little time with injury this year too not nearly as much but it was, his production was just so much better than I think anybody was counting on from him. 39 homers and 479 at-bats. But, you know, considering he did that as a 30-year-old without much evidence that he could be quite that caliber of hitter, uh, I think that makes him kind of confusing to rank, too. Starling Marte, another 30-year-old who just had a career season. And he was showing clear signs of decline, I felt like, prior to this season. So that's another confusing case. Now, he's the base dealer of the three, and so uh, there's a chance he'll get elevated because of that. But, um, yeah, none of the three are, I, I feel totally confident that they deserve to be 10th, 11th, and 12th versus, like, you know, 15th and 16th. You know, it's it's kind of a cluster through that, yeah. that range in uh, outfield. 13, 14, and 15, I have dubbed these the Lost Boys. These are the guys that we've loved so much. I, we feel lo I feel lost on them because the potential seems still seems to be out there, but there's a point where you're like, well, whether it is a declining stat or you know, like a guy like Whit Merrifield, who's number 13, whether it's Chris Bryant, who's at 14, who's had injuries, and he seems a bit lost, or a Bryce Harper, who just doesn't seem to fill up to that potential. Mm -hmm. It's a tough group. It's my Lost Boys group. So yep. how do you feel about 13, 14, and 15? So Bryce Harper's probably the Rufio of the Lost Boys. <laughs> he is I like that. <laughs> way out in front. And, and like I, I kind of got to a point this year, early this year, when he was at his worst, where like I'm not doing this again. Like every year I defend Bryce Harper for uh, disappointing productions, specifically with regard to batting average and now the strikeout rate keeps getting worse every year, and like just it's it's enough already. Well, his last four months went a lot better than the first two, and I think there's a temptation to view him with rose-colored glasses again. And uh, I, I'm still not going to do that, but I, I think I, I want to be careful not to underrate him either. I think my most I, I think the most realistic expectation for Bryce Harper is kind of a speedier Max Muncie. 
good on base guy oh. with big power, can steal some bases, unlike Muncie. Not going to be a huge steal total, but you know, there, there will be some steals. It's really interesting because, like, I think if you think about Bryce Harper as a whole, like you were kind of alluding to, it, it's not good. It doesn't feel good. Like, this was not a success of a season. That would be in your head. But over the last four years, he had his highest home run total, he had his highest RBI total, his second highest stolen base, and his second highest run total. But the batting average, you know, I mean, technically yeah. it was the second best batting average, but. You know, only one of those seasons over the last four did he hit over 300. The rest have been averaged around 250. So if you yeah. want to start to pair things out, he's a 10 stolen base, 30 homer, 100, 100, 250 hitter. And like you said, well, 12 to 15 steals. I'll give him a little more than 10. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to give him a little bit more of the benefit, that's fine. But here, here's why I think I'll be a little bit more excited about him this year. I think the cost is going to come down. He did come at 25, which. I don't know. It's a little bit weird to me in the too early mocks. In the too early mocks. Yeah, he's yeah. still going at 25, top of the third round. That is a discount yeah. more than we've got before. I feel like I should get a little bit more. And I feel right. like when drafts come back around, there's the potential that he does go later third round. And if that happens, I probably will I probably will bite a little bit. I won't be able to help myself. Yeah, I think the big difference now is his strikeout rate, though it got better over the course of this season. Overall, it's still risen to a point where you can't really hope for batting average. You can't really count on batting average. Well, I mean, you couldn't count on batting average anyway, but now it feels kind of locked in. He had 260 with a 313 Babbitt, and that was with a big home run total. Seems like a 250, 260 hitter, which is why I make that Muncie comparison. Um, and, you know, we, talk, we talked about Merrifield and Bryant at second yeah. base and third base. I have them both ranked ahead of him, in part because of their dual eligibility, but they have similar issues going on. The last Where, place. you know, Brian Harper's kind of lost you kind of lower your expectations for him in batting average for Bryant. You lower the power expectation for Whitmerryfield. You lower the speed expectation. And that's why they're, they're all kind of, they're, they're the lost boys. Like you say, this part of the podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Lightstream. lightstream.com slash strike more money, more problems, especially when it's with high interest credit card bills. I know exactly how stressful it is with these high interest credit card bills. But luckily, I've got a solution for you. Pay off your credit card balances and save money with a credit card consolidation loan from my friends at Lightstream. Get a rate as low as 5.95% APR with AutoPay. Lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a better loan experience, and that's exactly what they deliver. Just for my listeners, apply now to get a special interest rate discount. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash strike. L-I-G-H-T s-t-r-e-a-m dot com slash strike subject to credit approval rates include 0.5% auto pay discount terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice visit lightstream.com slash strike for more information 16 through 19 i'm going to give the guys and you tell me where we're at joey gallo at number 16 hello batting average and huge power austin meadows coming in at 17 coming in strong Number 18, the quiet power man, Jorge Soler. And number 19, the player to be named later for CC Sabathia, Michael Brantley. So this is a, a something I use a lot, an eclectic group of very different players. Austin Meadows seems like the most complete. Brantley is your batting average guy, and there's they're sandwiched between, at least Meadows is, two massively huge power guys in Gallo and Soler. I feel like they're... There's another tier division here. I'm not sure which side to put Joey Gallo on of that tier. Does oh, he like belong he belongs with, like, with Harper? 
Yeah, and and Aaron Judge, I would put in that same tier. I think I think Gallo has the potential to be Aaron Judge. Uh, he really improved his batted ball profile this year in terms of not selling out for so much so much for power, lowering the fly balls, raising the line drives, and improve the BABIP to the point he had a respectable batting average, but the strikeout rate got even worse. So, you know, he ended up with a respectable batting average. How sustainable is it? I'm not sure yet, but I think there's the potential he's as good as Judge. So he's 16th here. Can and I ask you then, something real quick? I want to get your take on this. I talk, okay. uh, Something I talked with... Um, Steve Gardner about uh, from USA Today a long time ago. He's a good friend, and we t- this was a couple years ago, and it actually had to do with I, it might have had to do with Joey Gallo. Do you subscribe to the idea of at all of being able to take two ish players on opposite ends to make you know an absolutely elite monster player? It's like the Power Rangers of fantasy, where you get a couple guys together and they make a big Ultron type of thing. And what I mean by that is taking, let's say, a Joey Gallo and a Jonathan VR, or taking Trey Turner early, knowing you're getting a guy like Joey Gallo, and you're literally taking the top spectrum of power and speed players, where one is deficient in runs, the other's deficient in RBIs, they counteract each other, and the batting average, it's important to take a high batting average guy. Do you subscribe to something like that, where I'm not saying that Joey Gallo even has all these like super negatives anymore, because the batting average changed. Well, we don't know. We don't know. Yeah, we don't know, but it, it kind of... Um, it could kind of subdue some of the worries if you took a high end stolen base guy with big batting averages and they become this just super elite player. Or do you think it's kind of a yeah. waste? Like pairing Trey Turner and Joey Gallo. That's maybe. that one's specifically the one in my mind of having Turner yeah. and Gallo. That's I never go into a draft with that goal. You know, as the draft's unfolding, I might realize, oh, I need to make up ground in this category in a meaningful way. And, you know, so I'll go after a Gallo or whatever, a real category standout like that. It, it kind of goes into how I assess players. I think the, the most controversial stance I have as a fantasy analyst is I don't really believe in projections. And what I mean by that is projections kind of single in on one specific outcome when every player has a wide range of possible outcomes. And I think you're kind of boxing yourself in when you approach a draft that way. You're kind of boxing yourself into that one outcome that projections allow for. Uh, and, and, you know, if, if, if that player doesn't deliver on that specific outcome, then your plan's ruined right there from the start. Uh, so I, I prefer not to do that. Okay. I mean, I'm very much with you, by the way, anybody that knows about me. I, I like projections as a baseline conversation point, but I'm not a be-all, end-all type of guy. So, um, all right, Meadows, Solaire, Brantley, any takes on it? I mean, I, I kind of, let Meadows be the more complete player of the group here. I like your, I think it's relatively aggressive. Am I, am I being dramatic about calling it aggressive? He went in, he came in at 21 in the industry mock. So you're about on par. Yeah. I mean, I think he finished strong. Uh, those, those, those mocks were happening as the season was still playing out. So maybe that would have changed. He might've gone a little closer to where I have him if it had happened after the season. And yeah, you know, that's kind of been the story of his short career so far. He, going back to last year too, very, very up and down. And I, I don't know that there's any expla- explanation for that. It may be a total fluke, but uh, since the fly ball and hard hit rates basically back up the most unexpected of those contributions, the home runs, I'm, I'm mostly believing in it. Michael Brantley kind of stands out a bit on this list as well. I mean, I get Soler with the big power numbers. Oh, Not that man. Brantley isn't deserved to be there. Um, I 
I called in the early preseason stuff, this was going to be career year for Brantley. So very aggressive in wanting to own him in Houston. It's a perfect spot for him. But Mm he, you know, he has the older side. He's definitely on the other end of 30 that Scott White likes. And you just seem to be, you're about 10 10 positional spots higher than an industry standard, which is not negative, but it's just. I didn't mean to be. Yeah, I know. You're not trying to hurt anyone's feelings, (laughs) but. But he came in at 29 as far as outfielders, and you have him at 19. Yeah. You have him over, you know, a pretty extensive yeah. list of players. Yeah, I I may overvalue batting average. You know, if I'm downgrading steals intentionally, I may be upgrading batting average intentionally from the consensus. That's and a I good, think that's a good self-assessment. One of, one of the safest bets for batting average, provided he stays healthy, which is always a factor for him. I don't plan on having a lot of shares in Brantley, so I may end up having to adjust my ranking just to ensure that. But uh, he's very safe for batting average and obviously has a great supporting cast. I do want to get into Jorge Soler, though. Sure, go ahead. Who I have one spot ahead, 18th, between Meadows and Brantley. I think he might be the player most at risk of making me look dumb in 2020 in terms of how heavily i'm going to talk him up how hard i'm going to pursue him gotcha. i'm basically heath cummings now the royals fan because mm-hmm. i did the adalberto mondesi was probably that guy last year and now it's solaire uh it's looking like it's going to be him hey, in you're 2020. a company man you sometimes you got to placate to the audience that you work <laughs> with and that's okay yeah <sighs> so why but why why i mean do you see incredible His, sustainability on the power for jorge solaire he's always been a big power guy but the cc kind of came out of nowhere well, it took him a long time to deliver on his potential, right? And you could just look at the season-long numbers and say, oh, look, I had this breakout season. But what that misses is how much he improved over the course of 2020, how much his strikeout rate and line drive rate approved in the second half, which are two of the biggest factors in determining what kind of batting average source he's going to be. I mean, they both improved by so much that I don't think it's a stretch to think he might actually be a benefit and batting average now as opposed to it being a liability. Like his profile, his batted ball profile, Jorge Soler, it looks a lot like Giancarlo Stanton back when we considered Giancarlo Stanton like perennial MVP material. That's what Soler is looking like now to me. And it's only one season, and that step obviously didn't even, you know, it, it didn't manifest until part of the way through that season. But it's a very exciting development for a guy who, as long ago as it was, did have that elite prospect pedigree. Maybe the uh, the analogy is he's like a guy that decided not to take the freeway to work and he was taking surface streets. So it took him a lot longer than the rest of us to get there. And he finally got to work and we're going with him. Um, 20 through 22, and then we'll stop there for a second. Jeff McNeil, who we've talked about at 20, Giancarlo Stanton at 21, and Tommy Pham at 22. The curious case of Giancarlo Stanton, Scott White. I could not be less interested in... Uh, Giancarlo Stanton and I just I mean I like the cost I always love value I'm a big value guy if I if I know who a player is and I can define where the negatives are and I get a and the positives and I can get a really really good cost on him I'm in Mm -hmm. I don't know man you know I don't know if this is it I still don't don't think this is it yeah this was kind of a close your eyes and point when in determining where to rank him among outfielders yeah because he might be Aaron Judge still who I have 10th he might be. <laughs> he might be, yeah. He might he, he might be two years ago Jorge Soler too. Or Giancarlo Stanton any of these last couple of years. <laughs> We've just seen like okay, so two years ago, what was that? Twenty seventeen, MVP season. Yeah. Twenty eighteen, 
Is there skills erosion happening there? I mean, the strikeout rate blew up with the Yankees. He still ended up having a very productive season. It was disappointing coming off the MVP year, but it was still a very productive season. And so I feel like in terms of where he landed between those two years and and how much of his disappointing 2018 was a, a matter of him getting older or and how much of it was just adjusting to a new environment, I feel like 2019 was going to answer a lot of the questions we had about him, and he hardly played which itself creates new questions. And it's it's very scary investing in Giancarlo Stanton now because of that. I feel very nervous about it. Um, let's take one more quick break, and then we're going to list out the rest of these guys, and you give me a couple pinpoints on who you want to talk about. So quick break right here on Fantasy Baseball today. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, among others. They'll do all of that so you can do literally anything else. You have better things to do with your free time than focus on your lawn care. Let True Green take care of all the hard work it takes to get a great lawn while you take care of everything else on your to-do list. You can trust True Green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise, which gives you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. Think about how hard it is to manage our fantasy baseball teams. You need all the time you can get to put in waiver wire claims, fab bids, send out trades, and set your lineups. You'll have that extra time when True Green is taking care of your lawn. You do you, let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people, guaranteed. So number 23, I absolutely love. I love Max Kepler. Number 24 is Eddie Rosario. Trey Mancini comes in at 25. Michael Conforto at 26. Marcelo Zuna at 27. Eloy Jimenez. Eloy Jimenez at 28. Ramon Lariano at 29, which might be a little bit low, but you don't value the stolen bases. And hello, Andrew Benintendi at 30. Now, I obviously jumped past you getting to talk about Tommy Pham. So please, if you want to talk about if Tommy is in a tier with a guy like a Max Kepler, but what's the range? I mean, we've obviously, there's a drop off in talent, but there's some really exciting guys. I like specifically Ramon Lariano to me is a pretty exciting guy from a power speed combination. And you have him a little bit higher than where he was going in the early drafts. He was going post 100. I think Loriano has top 50 um, uh, potential return on 2020 if we get a full season. So who uh, who sparks your fancy as far as conversation pieces of these guys? So 22 fam and then through Kepler, Eddie Rosario, Trey Mancini, Michael Conforto, probably going to include Marcelo Zuna in there. That's a tier. That's a tier after the Stanton, uh, Stanton Solaire tier. Is that like Stanton's a kind of Stan's kind of straddling that tier since I don't know quite what to make of him? Is that like an outfield three tier or a poor man's outfield two type of a tier? Is that fair to say? Yeah, uh, I would say yeah, poor man's two tier probably. Okay, because things get a lot worse not long after this list at the position. So I don't want to undersell these guys too much. Uh, but they all have, I think, serious vulnerabilities or question marks. Uh, in Fam's case, you know, he provides some steals and we're running out of guys who can do that. But he uh, is also declining as a power hitter. 
And given his batted ball profile, I don't expect that to reverse. He actually cut down on his strikeouts a lot in 2019. And if he doesn't sustain that, then he's going to have batting average issues going forward. So that's a little frightening. Kepler, he has batting average issues, which is funny because he doesn't strike out much. But I think he's kind of decided what kind of hitter he wants to be, and that's selling out for power. It obviously led to a good outcome this year, but I don't expect really things to get any better from there. Uh, Hopefully he can continue that. What he did in 2019... Eddie Rosario is just boring. You, yeah, I forgot. You. But I, yeah, I feel like this is where he belongs. He's milk toast to you. I get it. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't blame you. I've got. Um, I, I'm really dying to know who 31 is, and I've got a guy to to pick at you that I don't see on here. But what is? It's you know, you you kind of said Ozuna, Conforto. They're all in a relatively. You know, similar mm-hmm. tier of players, uh, Eloy Jimenez, Ramon Lariano, and Andrew Benintendi, who Andrew, Andrew Benintendi is clearly a guy, the fall off here is going to be pretty dramatic for people. And I believe in the two early mocks, he went as a 23rd outfielder, around 75 overall. You put him down to 30. So what is uh, I, what do these three look like? I really had to talk myself into ranking Benintendi this high because, wow, that was a disappointment. His but do you not give him a pass? We talked. You and I talked about this a couple episodes ago of you know the legacy. Is there is there no legacy point for Andrew Benintendi? Do you believe? Oh, that's the only reason he's this high because okay. the former number one overall prospect, his career got off to such a promising start. <laughs> but really, every word I just said, r- right down to the point. Oh, and now he's disappointing. Lines up with the career of Nick Barkakis. Every mm, that hurts, note. Scott. That that's and you just stung Boston like as a whole. He looks like Dick Barkakis now. Boy, you and stung really, Boston. Look at his second half of 2018. It really started there. It's a year and a half of this guy is pretty fringy hitter. Is he worth still, the still risk? young enough that it could turn around? Yeah. Is he worth the risk as an outfit? See, here's my problem though. You're gonna have to pay. Like I know what you're saying. He's ranked. I see him going 23rd on these. I don't know, dude. I still think you're going to have to pay a little bit of a higher price on name value. Is he worth the? Is he worth the risk of being an outfielder too? That's the big question. Can you get past? Can you get past the Nick Markakis comp, and can you get past last season and say, "Well, I'm getting a massive discount from the previous year. Can this turn around? And is it worth the risk? Is the juice worth the squeeze with Benintendi?" And I don't get the. I don't get get it that it is for you. At maybe about 30th it is mm. uh, because you get some pretty big question marks after that. But, you know, I'd rather invest the guy I have 28, the Loy Jimenez, and the way he finished the season, really salvaging what was, I think, a, a lot of people who tuned out for football season are going to remember as a disappointing rookie year, right? One sure. Of, kind of a, a bust, basically. He was cuttable for a long time. His final line ended up being 267 with 31 homers and 828 OPS. I mean... That pro- that's about in line with some of the more optimistic projections for his rookie season. He he got there with a strong finish, and I think uh, I I think it's I think things get even better from here. I'm more confident in him taking another step forward than Benintendi, who by the way also stopped running this year. Ten steals. Uh, so I can't even count on him for that. I'm a bit more excited about a guy like Ramon Liriano, who he he only got a buck twenty two or 123 games uh, into the season, but hit a 288. 
24 homers, 13 stolen bases. I don't love the strikeout rate, but it did drop about 3% from the year prior to that. I mean, he's about in line with BABIP numbers. He walked a little bit less, but I mean, he's kind of an exciting five-tool player. So I'm I'm a little bit more excited mm-hmm. about him. And it takes me to this point. I don't know if this is number 31 on your list. We'll get to that if it is. A clear omission to your ranks list here is Victor Robles. I would say based on a lot of in-industry standard. Victor Robles came in at 20 on this list. Power, speed, but not for Scott White. I think there's a better power speed guy out there, and he's number 31 for me. Who do we got? And that is Yasiel Puig. Mm, Okay, talk to me on Yasiel Puig. Puig is my friend. Yeah, he's always frustrating, right? And, well, I guess he's... He's a free agent now, right? So he's not going to be back in Cleveland, presumably. So that adds another layer of uncertainty to it. Mystery. But we uh, we were hoping with Cincinnati he could be a 30-20 guy going to that environment. And obviously he didn't play the full season there. He went to Cleveland midway. He ended up with 24-19. and So, you know, it was kind of disappointing. And yet at the same time, it was it wasn't that far off. And, like, that's three years now of him being kind of back as a uh, a noteworthy fantasy contributor after a couple years where he disappeared. So I think maybe the risks are overblown there. You know, basically three years where he's had at least 23 home runs and at least 15 steals. It's been about 260 hitter every time. You look at the supporting numbers and you and you, you always think there's the potential for more. And so that's why you get kind of... Uh, you're, you're, you're kind of always underwhelmed by him. But those numbers just... The raw numbers are pretty good. I'm still a Victor Robles guy, and I know he's not on the list, but it, I think it's easy from the conversation of how we've talked about kind of the deflated value on stolen bases. Um, he's going to be a little bit hyped up this year, which could make him co- uh, cost inefficient, which I'd be a little bit worried about. He came in as the 20th outfielder, right under 70, still 28 bases this past year. His home run to fly a ball in the second half was a pretty dramatic decline, which I think would be a yeah. you know a pretty a pretty concerning Weak. thing. Plus, he hit ground balls went up uh, over ten percent, eleven percent, just about. But his home run to fly ball dropped from fifteen down to just under seven percent. That is a problem for the power numbers. But he's still a pretty big beast on the base paths, and I think I think he's going to be an impact hitter. And if he does drop down, if there's a little bit of negative buzz on him, I think he's going to be a guy I'm going to be buying my shares in on this season. He makes some weak contact. Yeah, That's he really. Can. That's really the problem. He was bottom five in exit velocity, I believe, if I'm looking at the color coding right on the baseball savant page. And I think bottom 10 in hard hit rate, like weak, weak stuff in terms of how hard he impacts the ball. Very young, 22. You know, go get better. You're counting on him getting better by ranking him this high. Or you're just chasing steals, which you know is something I'm not going to do, or at least I'm not going to rank players like that. I may have to reach for somebody for steals at some point, depending on the way the draft's going, but I'd prefer not to rank them that way. Do you feel, um, do you feel an upcoming change? Like if you had, I mean, I guess 31, Yasiel Puig would be that guy, but this is the last thing here. Do you feel something is coming as far as, uh, 
a change in your rank or a perspective? I mean, you, you kind of end the tiered at Puig, but do you think, you know, as you go down the list, you can look at some of these other guys that are going to end up popping up for people. I mean, I don't think it's going to be Reese Hoskins based on things that we've talked nope. about, but, you know, there's just a lot of other names, a guy like Willie Calhoun who jumped up, Fran Mel yep. Reyes with big power, even some rookies like guys like Joe Adele and uh, Luis Robert could show up. Do you think there's anybody that's going to start pushing you a little bit? There's a lot. It, it gets pretty murky after this point, which is another reason I was happy I ended it where I did because, man, this is going to be a headache to sort out this next group. Yeah, no I doubt. mean, Nicholas Castellanos had a huge finish, so he's back in the discussion. Mark Canna, I think, deserves to be in the discussion. And really, the upside guys are probably David Dahl, as always, and Kyle Tucker, who I expect to be uh, a starter for the Astros next year. We'll see how that plays out. I mean, Hunter Dozier... Had a pretty big year. Kind of faded down the stretch, but I think he's part of that discussion. Nick Senzel, of course, has a lot of upside. Uh, Oscar Mercado is kind of a multi-category guy. Um, I mean, I'm going to throw Kyle Schwarber in there. I, I really like some of the changes Kyle Schwarber made in the second half. And he, I mean, obviously just the numbers at their face. It was a big home run total. I think there's a chance he belongs back in the discussion as a... Uh, 38 home runs. Man, that's even more than I remembered. He had 38 home runs, Kyle Schwarber. It's quiet. And he's not in my top 30 outfielders. We gonna I don't think he should be. I'm surprised you don't like be far outside of it. I'm surprised you don't like like I love Brian Reynolds with Pittsburgh and you know the batting average stuff. He's one of those guys. But there's there's a ton of names. There's a ton more conversation we could have. Here's what I suggest you do. If you don't have a direct link, go into your Google machine, type in Scott White Ranks. And you should get Scott White's beautiful little profile picture right up there on a CBS link. You can click on that, and you're going to get all of the articles that he's been putting up. And you know what's going to be a heavy list of those? These 2020 preview ranks. You can go through, and you can read out all the blurbs as we talk about these on the episode. Because coming up next week, we are going to finish this bad boy off with pitchers. We are going to have a relief pitcher and a starting pitcher. Now, I ask you, though, Scott— do you want to end on relief pitchers or should we end on starting pitchers? Because I kind of want to go out on a high note and I feel like that means we should end on starting pitching. Yeah, you think people aren't going to come back and listen to the relievers gotta if be, we, we lead smart. with starting pitchers? That's I think, clever. Let's talk Let's talk closers in the next episode and then we'll talk All about right. starting pitchers. That's how we'll do that bad boy. So it'll be good, uh, a pitching-centric episode. And you can go back and listen to all of these if you're subscribed to the podcast, uh, Fantasy Baseball Today, anywhere that podcasts are. We are there. And you can listen to the whole set of these that we have done. Uh, Scott has been putting a bunch of great work into this, so go give him the clicks and make sure you're listening to all the episodes. Scott, I will see you next week as we get these pictures up and we finish the 2020 preview. That is it for us. Follow Scott on Twitter at CBS Scott White, myself on Twitter at Is It The Welsh. Have a great one, and we will see you guys next week. Later.